So this morning we're going to talk mostly to new agents, but really to all of you, especially if you've hired anyone, um, how when you're filling out an application, you want to think like the insurance company. Would you agree, Dick? Yes, and pretend when you're writing this application that if they die, it's going to take $5,000 out of your savings account to pay part of the death claim. And I had the fortunate opportunity when I first started doing this that we literally had a reinsurance company of somebody I wrote insurance on would have passed away. They put part of the premium into my reinsurance account. So I actually made money like an insurance. I was a mini insurance person. However, it made me want to not write some business because I'm thinking if this person dies, not only is it costing the company a couple of hundred thousand dollars, it's costing Dick $5,000. And so it made me start thinking the way the company thinks. Now, let me give you some examples. The uh, company, a lot of times, will spend two to $500 in underwriting expenses, not counting commissions and overrides. So it's an expensive process for the insurance company to write and place a piece of business in force, so much so that the average life insurance policy does not start making a profit for the insurance company until three and a half years' worth of payments. So they're not interested in us throwing stuff up against the wall. So when they look at these applications when they come in and somebody puts down on their income for the person, zero, well, why would an insurance company want to issue that policy if the person has no income thinking they're going to make one payment and, you know, a month or two from now when the TV goes or the cell phone goes, they're going to stop paying on the insurance and we've lost that first two and a half years worth of expense. So if somebody doesn't have an income, then you need to justify why they don't. It might be a stay-at-home dad, and the, and the wife is making you know, $100,000 a year as a research assistant somewhere. Well, what we need to do is clarify why the husband has no income. He's a stay-at-home dad, but the combined household income is you know, $100,000, and if something happens to him, she's going to need money to go out and hire daycare. So you know, we can get the policy issued, but we just have to do it right. Um, there are certain meds that people take that will shorten their life. That's why uh, Forrester's has done a really good job at putting together a, what we call a knockout list of drugs. These are drugs that if you're taking it, they're not going to issue the policy. So it's good to become familiar with those. Why is that? Well, if they're selling a 30-year term and because somebody's on this medication, see, the insurance company has priced this for them to live 31 years or longer. Now, they know some people are going to die at 18 and some 19 and some at 24 years. They know that's going to happen. However, they're not going to issue a policy on somebody whose anticipated death is 17 years from now because they're on a particular medication. So understanding why they have that on there is extremely important to you. Um, you know, I get this question all the time. Well, they were in prison. Okay, uh, what were they in for, and are they out on probation? Are they, are they still on probation? Because, see, guys, living uh, in prison is not a healthy, safe place to be. So the insurance company is really not very interested, and I'm just picking three or four examples we've had. There's numerous others, but that will give you an idea. Stop and think. Is that, I remember asking uh, Mark, one of our underwriters one time, he declined one of my cases for arthritis. And I said, Mark, I've never heard of anybody dying from arthritis. And he laughed, and he said, you're right. Uh, 
people don't die from arthritis. He says, but the medications they take will blow out their liver. And he said that particular medication will shorten their life between five and seven years. So that's an example of what we're talking about. And I know I've heard you tell new agents that when they call, if, if uh, you're brand new and you're calling from the home and someone has very poor health, start with the worst thing that they have. Thank because you. if they just had open heart surgery two weeks ago, it doesn't matter what their height and weight is. It doesn't matter if they're high blood pressure, because they're going to be guaranteed issue. It doesn't matter anything else. It's kind of like when you're bleeding uh, profusely, you need a tourniquet. You don't need an aspirin, okay, or, or, or whatever pain. So um, just a thought on looking at the worst thing first. Um, would you agree, Dick? Yeah, I want to thank you for bringing that up because it's so funny. I get this. Well, he's got a little sugar and he's got a little blood pressure and he's got a little cholesterol and he had open heart surgery three weeks ago. Well, that changes everything. So just kind of keep that in mind. Hey, guys, we are posting a tracker up there on, on GroupMe for you to see. See, the thing of it is if you're planning on earning the company trip, and even if you're not planning on earning the company trip, you know, look at the gal – uh, Debbie, uh, I think her last name is Curtis, that she had worked for, you know, last year's uh, trip was an 18-month qualification. And at the end of, I don't know, 12 or 13 months, 14 months, she hadn't even thought about the trip. And suddenly she realized, you know, if I can write $80,000 in premium from the end of the August convention to the end of the year, I can win this trip to Hawaii. Now, if she'd have been tracking this all along the way, she would have seen much sooner that she had a shot at making that trip. So I posted a just uh, a Santa Fe uh, uh, thermometer so you can kind of see how you might track this and earn the trip yourself because um, it's going to be neat. It right. Really we'll is. get that out later to you. Okay. So at any rate... What I wanted to talk to us today about is how do I increase my sales and my closing, closing ratio. And if you were on the call with Barry yesterday, you realized real quick it all starts with activity. And what are the activities that are important here? I'm going to give you some keys to begin with, but they're minor keys, and we'll get to the major keys in a moment. You know, when, when you're going out on appointment, why do we strategize cases with you before you go? For a couple of reasons. One, I want to help you start thinking like the life insurance company. I want to give you an idea of what the person qualifies for if we happen to know some health issues. And, and three, I want to show you how to make the sale, you know, how to approach a client so that you can make the sale. Now, after that happens, then we want you to call from the home. Why is that? Because a lot of times when I hear, now, please don't start off, Dick. These people like everything they've seen, but they want to think about it. You know, I got that last week. Well, guys, once you've confirmed the fact that they want to think about it, there's nothing I can say or do. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to close the sale. But, Dick, you're giving up too soon. No, because what's happened is they've put it in stone and you've confirmed it. It's, it's gospel now. It's not going to go any different. But, you know, bring up, say, you know, Dick, we were looking at something here, and I just want to make sure I'm going on the right track. This is what we've got. And this is what I recommended. 
and then I'm going to ask him a couple of three questions, usually the same ones. If something happens, what you know, I, I've got a series of questions I go through, and then from there we've got a shot at closing the sale. Now, after the appointment, see if you call there, we've got a shot. After the appointment, we need to talk again. Uh, if you did not make a sale, we want to go through it and rehearse and, and go back over and role play what was said so maybe we can figure out how to say something a little different. What if you did make the sale? Well, we will still want to go over it because we want to figure out what you said that triggered that so we have help you focus more on the things that work, and this, this becomes a, an opportunity to learn and get better. See, last week I had an agent call me, and we did not get the sale, but later I discovered that the client had told the agent they had responded on a, a IVR, an incoming voice recorded message. That's what the agent was on. So they were in there before the letters were. But the lady had also sent back two letters. So, I mean, there was an interest there. And had I known that, we would have zeroed more in on what was important to them. So the interview really should have started after the warm-up with, um, now you've sent two letters back and you have John in the house with you right now wanting to find out more about mortgage protection. What's important to you in this process? Why did you, in essence, I'm not going to say why did you send it back, but that's what I'm going to convey. You know, what's important to you? What do you want this protection to do for you? Now that's going to flush out the problem. Well, if something happens to me, I want my wife to stay in the house. You know, we don't have any life insurance and we need something. You know, whatever it's going to be, that's going to help flush it out. But what we've done is we've exposed the pain and now we can create a solution rather than just going in there and trying to sell them on something but not understanding what's important to them and what they want to accomplish. So these are some of the ways that we can help increase sales. Now, from the sales side, you know, we can do adjustments to help you. We can change the presentation. Um, you know, we can do little things that will help increase your closing percentage <coughs> by going over things. But that's not the big deal. See, attending the weekly sales calls, you hear this a lot, and you guys are on this one, so that's a good thing. The people that need to hear this aren't on. But, you know, we have a tendency to think if it's raining here, it's raining everywhere. I mean, that's just, that's just human nature. Well, it's the same way with sales. If you're having a hard time, you think everybody's having a hard time, and this just doesn't work. Well, what the national calls do is they dispel that notion. You know, I remember on occasion calling Barry and saying, you know, I just think just I've had a really rough time. I've been on five appointments. I've made one sale. And Barry invariably say, hey, did you hear what Joyce did? I said, no, what did she do? He said, she went out and went four for five yesterday. And did you hear what Gary did? That rascal went out. He wrote seven apps yesterday. Well, that cured me of that real quick, you know, because once you hear other people are making sales, and that's what the national calls are designed to do. See, us not making sales is rarely, if ever, the lead's fault or the client's fault or any other reason, really. It's almost always agent error. You know, the majority of times when an airplane goes down, it's pilot error, and it's the same way in sales. It's agent error most of the time. So what happens in the process is it's the agent that had the error, but they're conveying something totally different because of 
the agent's circumstances. For example, you know, the agent, uh, the kids are sick. Oh, that, that affects how we think. Uh, we had an unexpected uh, expense with no money to fix it. You know, the transmission went out or an appliance went out. See, our circumstances end up ruling the day. We have less enthusiasm or worse yet, no enthusiasm. And see, these things all come into play because it's not what we say, it's what we convey. See, being on the natural, national calls, well, why is that important? Because you're hearing there that agents are making sales. And in many cases, the way Bill interviews people, you're under or hearing how and why they're making the sales and why it's working for them. See, listening to that and see where we might miss the mark. Uh, Robert posted a um, podcast for everybody to listen to. Uh, we're going to talk about that a fair amount in terms of guys get on that thing and listen to it. See, Barry yesterday was talking about focusing on you, um, making you better by reading podcasts and national calls, uh, the ETCs that are coming up. Those are ways, guys, when you go to these ETCs, the majority of the time they have somebody who's really good at setting appointments. Get on the phone and literally make live dials for you to listen to. So you can see their body language. You can see how they're doing it. You see how they're going about it. It changes everything. Um, the regional training meetings that they're having. See, we're not having a summer conference this year. They're going to have that regional training meeting in Dallas, and then they're going to do another one in either Columbus or Indianapolis, and another one in either South, uh, Southern California or Las Vegas. Those are going to be meetings that we can plug into. It's a one-day affair, one-day event, but we can plug in there and get first-hand training in there and see other people doing it. What those are designed to do they're designed to validate everything that you hear on the calls are accurate because you're seeing the people firsthand. All right, now the second thing that we really need to work on, and Barry addressed this yesterday, is increasing our activity. Well, what does that mean? Well, one thing we can do is we can learn to tell our story five times a day. See, that ought to increase our sales, you know, anywhere from one to three sales a week, just telling our story five days five times a day. Now, three sales a week, guys, that will keep you in the business. It's not going to make you rich, but it's going to keep you in the business. So that's a big part of it. Listening to podcasts, that one that Robert posted in GroupMe, how, well, Dick, how many times should I listen to it? Until you transfer the information that's in that thing from your head to your heart. I would say no less than five and probably as many as seven to ten times. Just go over it and take notes, and each time you do, improve your notes. See, what we want to do is we want to listen to that to the point that we become numb to the process. Somebody hangs up on you. You're numb to the process. It doesn't matter. I've had people before just scream and shout and say ugly things to me, and I laugh thinking, I'll bet they think they ruined my day. It didn't bother me in the least because I was numb to the process, but it messed their day up. Well, I'm not responsible for that. their day. I'm only responsible for mine. But listening to that will make a huge difference. And see, becoming numb to the process is a very important part, guys, of what we do. It's a very important part of any sales job. Um, understanding that the leads are a stack of leads. That's all they are. They're a stack of leads where somebody 
expressed an interest in something. Well, does that mean they don't have value? No. It means they initiated the contact. They have an interest. They have a need. And it's just about we may have called them at the wrong time. We may have called them. You know, they might have just had a fight. One of the kids might have just cut their head. You never know, you know, what's going on on their end of the line. But at any rate, they have a need that needs to be dealt with. And, well, Dick, how how long or how many times should I call through my stack of leads? See, once you go through the stack and if somebody really is ugly, it's okay to take one out once in a while. Um, in fact, you might take several out in a in a sitting because of whatever that's been said. That's okay. But if you haven't gotten a hold of them, um, then they go and just roll over into the stack. And when you get finished with that stack, you come back, turn it back over, and go through it again. And, well, how many times should I go through it? Well, if you need 12 to 15 appointments a week, you keep going through your stack of leads, double and triple dialing, until you get your 12 to 15 appointments. Well, what happens when you do this activity over and over and over? See, part of the process, guys, is recognizing what this activity does. One, it gets you 12 to 15 appointments, but more importantly, you get better. Do you think once you've made 1,000 dials on leads that you might be a little better than you were after you made your 10th dial? Of course you're going to be better. You're going to learn how to control your voice. You're going to learn how to, when you've got somebody that's real aggressive with you, how to slow it down and, and be kind of, not become their friend, but become friendly. You're going to be cordial. You're going to be business-like. This is all a process of you getting better and, two, you getting a little tougher. And the fact that after you've made 1,000 dials, you're not going to take things personal. It's just going to be the kind of thing, okay, uh, they've had a bad day next. All right, so you get better on the phone so you can be like, say, Dave Crocker a few weeks ago did a call for us. And um, I remember when Dave first started, it wasn't uncommon for him to spend two to three days, six hours a day, two to three days a week to set his appointments. But when he did the call for us, he was talking, he does basically his entire week is set up in close to three hours of dial time a week. See, that's the goal we have for each one of you on this call today. I don't want you on the call six hours a day, three days a week, making 250, 300 dials a week to set your appointments. I want you to get good enough that you can do it in two and a half to three and a half hours a week. That's the goal. How do you get that good? Like practicing a trumpet. You, if you're going to be good, you've got to practice a lot. That's what this does for you as well. See, agents comment, well, I struggle. I remember when David made the uh, call how he struggled to write $6,000 a month in premium when he first started. I guess it was three years, two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. Struggled to write $6,000 a month. And now it's not uncommon for him to write six or $7,000 in any given day that he goes out. Why is that? Because of all the practice he's had on doing in-home presentations. And see, his activity on the phone and his activity doing these presentations in the home have made him better. There's a rule called gravity, and it works every time. You throw something up in the air, it comes down every time. Well, there's another rule of business called the 10,000-hour rule, and it, like gravity, works every time. If we do something for 10,000 hours, we come and become an expert in it. Uh, I got uh, DeAndre had me do a uh, phone in or, or a phone. He called me from the home 
and I uh, turned the deal over to me on the phone. We didn't get it, but he was blown away with how the process went. I guarantee you, we didn't get the sale, but he got something more valuable than the sale. He got some training that changed the way he looks at appointments now. And how was I that good on the phone? 10,000 hours. You know, if you've done what I've done for 10,000 hours, you're going to get pretty good at it. See, 10,000 hours of practice in the instrument is going to make you very, very good. 10,000 hours of doing sales presentations, you're going to be really good at it. Phone script. If you're researching for a book and you do 10,000 hours researching for a book, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great book. So let's, let's kind of lay aside here our prejudices and let's look at this and let's be honest. If you only made one sale last week, and I don't want to know this on the call here. We might talk about it off the call, but how much time did you really spend on the phone making dials to set appointments if you only wrote one sale? You probably didn't run 12 or 15 appointments to, and only got one sale. And if you did, that's a conversation we need to have. But see, it's not how much time you spend at your desk shuffling the leads from one pile to another. How many dials did you really make? Connie opened the call up this morning with keeping track with the haystacks. See, it's easy when you get finished saying, yeah, I probably made about 35 dials, probably talked about 12 people, and I set four appointments. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the true activity. Now, why is that important? Well, one, it's important for you to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I should have made 200 dials this week, and look here, I got 41. Well, there's why you don't have enough appointments. Now, if you did make 200 dials and you talked to 56 people and you set one appointment, then we need to talk because there's something wrong with your phone script, and we can spot that in a minute. On the other hand, if you made 200 dials, you talked to two people and you set one appointment, your phone script's fine. You got one out of two people to set an appointment, but something's wrong. It's either how your phone is showing up, it's, it's the time you're calling, Something else is going on. For example, somebody called me this past week and said, what do you think about calling on Sunday night? I think it's a great idea, you know, if it works in your market. I'm in one market, you can't call on Sunday night, and another one you can. Now, I will tell you this, this Sunday night is not going to be a good <laughs> night to call. It's Super Bowl Sunday. People think you're crazy. They don't want to be bothered, and they're probably about half-loaded anyway, so that's not a good time. All right. Um, see, this activity is going to drive your business to levels that you either need or want to achieve, uh, as does your lack of activity. That will drive your business to a level that is uh, unsustainable and literally drive you out of business. Now, let's start in closing here with this. How much, how much do you want to make each week? Is it 2000 a week, 3000 a week, or 4000 a week, or part-time? $500 a week, whatever it is, let's start there and use as, uh, as an example, let's say somebody says, Dick, I want to make 2000 a week and I'm full-time. Well, if you close 50% of the appointments you set on, then if, let's go back here, each sale's worth uh, on average $1,000 and if you're at a 70% contract, that means you make $700 on each sale they're going to advance 75% of that. So you're going to get approximately $500 in your account for each sale that you make. And if you have an 80% placement, you know, one out of five that you write, you're just not going to replace because you're new at underwriting. We didn't strategize the case properly. So that being said, 
with an 80% placement, you're going to need to write five sales a week to net four and get them issued. Four times 500 is $2,000. And then you're going to get the other $200 on each sale in three equal installments in the 10th, 11th, and 12th month. But right now, today, your need and goal is $2,000 a month or $2,000 a week. So this is how we get there. Well, how many appointments do you need to make five sales a week? Well, if you close 50% of the people you sit on and 70% of the appointments that you set, you're actually going to meet with people because, you know, life happens. They forgot about the piano recital. They forgot about the kids' soccer game that night or whatever. You're going to need to set 12 to 13 appointments in order to sit on 10 to write five applications. Well, now we've got that part of it worked out. Well, Dick, how many leads do I need to do that? I pick B leads as an example uh, to give you an idea. I don't know what your set ratio is for the particular leads, so that's why we keep track. See, if you will let us know and you keep track on those tick marks what type of leads you're calling, that will give you an idea what type of success you have on different leads so you know how much inventory to get. So using, say, B leads, you know, 20 B leads should produce six appointments. So it's going to take 40 to 50 B leads a week for you to set your 12 to 50 or 12 or 13 appointments to get your uh, five sales. Well, a B lead costs $6 a piece. So you're going to need to be spending $240 to $300 a week to generate $2,000 a, a week in income. See, this is a real simple process. And guys, these numbers have not changed in 25 years. They just haven't changed, you know, once somebody becomes proficient at what they're doing. Now, um, your level of business would that you need to have to get what you're going at, you now see how you come to that. Now, those kind of margins, investing $300 a week in cost of goods sold to generate $2,000 a week in income, this truly is a business opportunity that looks like a job. And those kind of margins, if people could get that in the retail business, I interviewed a guy yesterday that I don't know what kind of food he generated, but he had it in Whole Foods and several other things, and he said my my uh, gross profit on it was 30%. But he said if they ran out and I had to run over there and take them more, he said my cost of goods went up, not in manufacturing, but in distribution. And when I went through these numbers with him last night, he goes, oh, my gosh. He said, I would have done anything to have those kind of margins in my business. So this literally is, as an agent selling insurance here, this is a tremendous business opportunity. Now, the other alternative would be go to a captive agent company like State Farm or Allstate or just become an independent on your own and spend 90% of your time prospecting and 10% of your time selling. Well, there's a cost of goods there. It's your time. You're spending all this time looking for prospects and being not productive on the other side of it. So that's why the business model part of this is so valuable to us because of the lead generation. Equus is spending a quarter of a million dollars a week soon to be 400000 a week, generating leads so we can run our business. 
Now, I'm not saying they're doing that because they're nice guys. We're all doing it because it's a profit center for everybody. But we can capitalize on this profit center. My son was just telling me um, he went to a special training for business people two weeks ago. And two of the guys at this training there ran Chick-fil-A franchises. And in the course of conversation at dinner, one of the guys said, asked my son, said, do you have any idea how much business a Chick-fil-A generates a year? And uh, my son made the comment. He said, I don't know, probably a couple million dollars in sales. He said, that's what it was when it started. He said, the average Chick-fil-A does six and a half million dollars in volume every year. Now, they pay a royalty back to Chick-fil-A for that, just like we buy leads. However, that put them in a position. Now, could they go out and start their own chicken joint and have actually as good as or better chicken than Chick-fil-A? Absolutely. But they don't have the system down. They don't have the marketing down. In our case, they don't have the leads that allow them to be in business and utilize what makes them money. What makes money for you? Selling not prospecting. That's why this is so important.